Open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 13. We're, we're getting close to the scariest day of the year, Election Day. You thought I meant Halloween? <laughs> no, Halloween is pretty scary. <laughs> But for many people, the actions of our government seem to be far more scary than things that go bump in the night. And I uh, decided a a month or two ago that this would be a good time to just uh, stop off of our series in 1 Corinthians and and give some thought to to, uh, some broad concepts and a few specifics about how we ought to relate to a government that does things we don't like. Should we even waste our time on voting? What does it mean to be a Christian patriot? Thankfully, God has given us some very clear instruction about how we should think and act toward government. And we want to start today in Romans 13 and understand sort of the the basic concepts of what God wants us to, to think and to understand about the country in which we live. Romans chapter 13. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities... For there is no authority except from God, and the authority that exists are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid." For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also must pay taxes. For they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all all their due Taxes, to whom taxes are due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. You think God could have wrote that without putting that word tax in there, don't you? The thing that we need to understand first of all today is this. God is the source of governmental authority. This is a a real challenge for us to understand uh, it's not hard to look back in the Old Testament and, and understand that the government of Israel under Moses was set up by God. We go, yeah, that's of God. We can look at uh, King David and his government and say, yeah, that's of God. But when we think about the current state of affairs, whether we think of our country or we think of the Middle East, and we say, really? 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 Are you sure about that? What we have to come to grips with here is the eternal sovereignty of God. Now, the word sovereign means to be the ultimate ruler. You know, uh, the sovereign head of a nation is, you know, a king, if you will, or a dictator. God is the eternally sovereign ruler of the universe. What we have to understand is this. Either God is ruling the world, or he is helplessly watching our world like a fan at a football game, anxiously waiting for the final score. 
You know, it's like watching a Seahawks game this year. Last year, it was just total domination. Boom, boom, boom. This year, it's like, oh, I think we're going to win, but I'm not quite sure. Oh, yeah, finally we won. And some people seem to see God that way. He's up in heaven going, oh, I hope they do the right thing. But he's not. And that plagues us as Christians because we're thinking, how can this possibly be what God has put in place. The king under which Daniel, the Old Testament prophet, served, uh, he had a dream, which was actually a revelation from God. One of the ways God revealed truth in that Old Testament time period was through dreams, and he gave this king a dream. But the king didn't understand the dream, and so he called all of his wise men and said, I want you to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And the wise men said, no problem, king, tell us the dream and we'll tell you the interpretation. And he said, no, 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 no. You tell me the dream and the interpretation. You tell me what was in my head, then I'll know you have the ability to, uh, to tell me the uh, interpretation. And of course, nobody could do that. And then it got around to Daniel, and Daniel went right to prayer, and he said, God, I'm going to lose my head along with all these other men if you don't help me out here. And God gave him the interpretation of the dream. He gave him the dream and the interpretation. And this is what Daniel said when God gave him that dream and the interpretation. Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Daniel said, I know that God is in control. Now later, God gave that king another dream. And he also gave the king a warning about taking some things to himself personally in pride. And this is what happened to that king. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about in the royal palace of Babylon. And the king spoke, Is this not great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? And while the word was still in the king's mouth... Do you understand that? It was still like the air was still coming out. A voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. Then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Can I get an amen that we'd like to see some of that happen today? <laughs> Boom, yeah, that's how I'm talking about God being in control right there. <laughs> God has chosen not to do that. But make no mistake, when God says, I want to change things on the earth, he goes, boom, and things are changed. Now, how does that interface with us and our, in this country, our voting and the, the, all of the political process that goes on, we fail to understand. But we know that God is at work. Jesus knew that God was in control. When Jesus was on trial in front of Pilate, the Roman governor, 
Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. And that's when Pilate went, Whoa. And Pilate tried to get him released because he knew he was innocent. But Jesus said, I understand, Pilate, that I am not standing here because you are so powerful. I am here because God has willed it and God has organized circumstances that they have resulted in this outcome. Pilate was the Roman governor of Judea under the emperor Tiberius. He had power by authority of the Roman governor, but according to Jesus, that power originated in heaven. Now think about this. In the first century, you know, A.D., we're going to call it A.D. 0, up to 100, the first century, when the apostles were carrying out Christ's mission and putting God's truth down on paper, this truth we just read right here, the governments were almost always what we would call kingdoms. In Rome, they had a fellow called the emperor. Now, they had a Roman senate, but it wasn't a senate that could veto what the emperor was wanting to do. It was more of an advice-giving group. In the years before Christ came, there were Greek cities like Athens which had democracy. Do you know how Athenian democracy worked? Who could vote in Athenian democracy? Class? Who? Land-owning men who had gone through military training. In other words, they had served their country. What percentage of the population do you suppose that was? (laughs) The vast majority of people had no say whatsoever. The Jews in Israel at the time, the first century, had a, what you might call a community council for, uh, of religious leaders, which had some authority over the temple and such, but they didn't have any say in their government. It was in that time of very little to no representation and very little of what we would call freedom. I mean, our concept of freedom today, real freedom, is, you know, you can do what you want and build what you want and work where you want. I mean, that's this, this ultimate concept of freedom that we have in our minds. And when the government encroaches on it, we say, hey, the, think about how the government encroached on the Apostle Paul. I mean, they, you know... He was as likely to get beaten as to get asked to dinner when he went into town. And it's into that milieu that God said, Christians, submit to your government because God is behind the authority. And we scratch our head and go, how can that possibly be? Nothing has changed from the first century to now. We still have government And we still don't like it. (laughs) And God still says, submit to it. Uh, He says very clearly, he expects us to obey the government. Look at Romans 13 
and, and think this through with me. In verse 1, he says, be subject, and it means to be under, literally to be under, to obey. Verse 2, he says, don't resist, don't oppose or be against. Verse 3, obey the government. Um, it, it says it is good to do this. In verse 4, it says to oppose the government is to do evil. In verse 5, to obey is mandatory. It is a must. You must obey. And in verse 7, to obey the government is something that the government is owed. Now, class, how many times does God need to give a command in order for it to be true and enforceable? (laughs) One. And what does it mean when God says something over and over and over six times. And this isn't the only passage that teaches something like this. First Peter 2, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Every ordinance? Couldn't God have left that word out? Every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. This is really kind of a summary of Romans 13, 1 through 7. And of course, Jesus himself said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, which is talking about, at the time, he was specifically talking about taxes. This is when he took the money out of the fish's mouth and said, let's pay the tax. Now, does this mean that we should say, my country, right or wrong, and blindly obey every command? No. And that's where we get into some murky territory. But God does expect Christians to discern when to disobey. Turn with me to Romans, excuse me, Acts chapter 4. Back up just a few pages to the book of Acts chapter 4. Now as Peter and John spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. You know, we're going to come back to this theme in a minute, but let's just stop there for a second and recognize something Peter and John did something that was incredibly unwelcome. They preached the gospel. And what happened? 5,000 men were saved. There could have been more. They only counted the men because of their social custom. At some point, we have to ask and answer the question, what is the salvation of a soul worth? If I could make it real personal, I'd say, is it worth washing the clothes of 54 little boys at an orphanage? Is it worth enduring the criticism of our society? Is it worth people looking at us saying, you're giving hate speech? At some point, we have to answer that question, and we have to just stop caring about what... (laughs) the government or our society says or thinks do you think peter and john 
tested the political waters when they went into town. <laughs> well, I wonder if these people, I wonder if this would be a good place to preach the gospel. You know how they figured out where the good places were to preach the gospel? Wherever the sinners were. And it came to pass, verse 5, on the next day, that their rulers, elders, and scribes, this would be the Jewish ruling body, a facet of the government, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, they gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, say in the middle, there's a big crowd of people there in the middle, by what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't you hate it when God moves you to say things that people don't like? Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said, Rulers of the people and the elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead. By him, this man stands here before you whole. They had done a a miracle of healing just before this. This is the stone, verse 11, which the builders, which was rejected by you builders. (laughs) Boy, Peter, couldn't you find a nicer way to say this? Which has become the chief cornerstone, nor is there salvation in any other, nor is, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved now when they saw the boldness of peter and john and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized they had been with jesus these were guys who should not have been able to stand in front of a crowd and speak eloquently but they did because it was the holy spirit in them verse 14 and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them they could say nothing against it But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no other man in this name. So they called them in and commanded them not to speak at all or to teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. When a government, in this case, it was the Jewish ruling body, it wasn't the Roman body, but it was the Jewish body. When a government directly contradicts one of God's clear instructions, God expects his people to disobey. Do you understand there? They said whether we should obey, not whether we have the option. Whether we should obey God or obey you, you figure it out. Now, these were Jewish people. They were believers in God. And so he put it that way on purpose as saying, now think this through, guys. If God gave us one command and you gave us a different command, which one do you think we're going to obey? God expects us to disobey when the command of government directly contradicts his commands. 
Back, go back to uh, the, the parents of Moses. Pharaoh said to the Jewish people, kill all the boys that are born. And his parents nodded their head and then went and did the right thing. I have a friend who works in the Middle East and he has quoted Middle Eastern believers as saying this, I'm going to get baptized and if I die, then I die. Wow. What if we told those five young people, hey, you're going to get baptized next week and your families might reject you. They might put you out. Would you have to think twice? See, because in our country, our go-to is always, I have rights. You can't treat me that way. And the reality is, folks, we're in a spiritual battle. This is not a governmental issue. To whatever extent our government is oppressing Christians, it is because the ruler of this earth, Satan, is pushing against Christ through the government to us. And God expects us to disobey and potentially to suffer the consequences. I have personally broke the law, I'm glad to say, in a very large country that I won't mention because this will be, this will be broadcast on the internet. But I was extremely nervous going into that country. What is your occupation? I'm self-employed contractor. <laughs> I do work for people time to time. <laughs> I, you know, it's against the law in that country for a foreigner to teach the Bible. Period. And there are times when we should say, I don't care. When there is a direct contradiction of God's law, we must disobey as needed and be ready to suffer joyfully. If anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Let him glorify God in this matter. Now, here is the murky part. We've got to very carefully evaluate issues so that we obey at every possible opportunity both God and man. There are a lot of people who would like to spin issues into some kind of a, a war between God and the government, and the reality is it is not. But when those times come, we ought to disobey, and if we suffer, we have to suffer. Disobedience should only come after scriptural, thoughtful, prayerful consideration. And the reason that God wants us to obey so much is because God uses government to regulate society. And the principle is this, human government is better than anarchy. Human government is better than anarchy. Here's an example of that principle from uh, Acts 19. When the city clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian of the great goddess Diana and of the image which fell down from Zeus? Therefore, since these things cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. These people were getting all worked up and get ready to physically hurt, if not kill, the apostle Paul. 
For you have brought these men here who are neither robbers of temples nor blasphemers of your goddess. Therefore, if Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen, those were the accusers, if they have a case against anyone, the courts are open. And there are proconsuls or lawyers by our terms today. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you have any other inquiry to make, it shall be determined by the in lawful assembly. For we are in danger of being called in question for today's uproar. There be no reason which we may give to account for this disorderly gathering. And when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. Now I understand that the Roman government, the Roman emperor, eventually, uh, most likely, put Paul to death. We don't have a, a biblical account of that, but uh, we understand that he was in prison and that most likely happened. And we understand that that wasn't a godly thing that was done. But we look here and we say, here is government keeping order. When there is no government, who rules? Who rules when there is no government? The man with the most guns, money, or power of some kind. We can look back in the history of our country just a couple hundred years, uh, maybe a little more, to the, the wild, wild west. And, uh, you know, I, I, if, if I had a costume, if any of you can help me out, I would come to the, I would come to the, the Halloween uh, outreach as a pistol-packing preacher. One of my favorite stories of the Wild Wild West is about a preacher who was out in eastern Oregon, and, and this is a, a real story, and it happened not that long ago, and he was out there preaching against the sins of the flesh, and it was hurting the business of the purveyors of the sins of the flesh, and so they threatened and threatened, and finally they said, if he preaches one more time, we're going to kill him. And so he got up in the pulpit with his long tailcoat, and he got up there and he put his coat back and he had guns. And he put his guns up on the pulpit. And he said, folks, I've heard that if I preach today, there's going to be gunplay, and I just want you to be ready to duck. In the wild, wild west, the guy with the most guns or the most mon men or the most money ruled. And we know how, how, uh, how much we hate that kind of uh, anarchy uh, authority. And, and that's why we have police officers. And that's why we have courts and so on. And, and it is a flawed system. There is no doubt about that. But would we really be better off with no government? God thinks not. He has instituted government for the betterment of society. When the Soviet Union fell apart, who took over? Not the democratically elected leaders. You know who took over? The crime syndicates. And some would say they're still ruling the country. And that we were on the verge of that happening in our country in the early 1900s. And if the government hadn't pushed back, it's entirely possible we would look a lot more like the Soviet Union in terms of that element of society. And what would happen, imagine with me, dream with me, if our government was controlled by Christians? It would still be imperfect because... As far as I can tell, none of us in this room are perfect yet. 
we often get our hopes up. So-and-so is going to get elected and it's going to be the greatest thing. And then the next thing you know, so-and-so is going out of office on corruption charges. The fine Christian gentleman or woman. God uses government and we've got to recognize that. He uses government to regulate society and that's why we have to submit, why we have to obey. And God uses government to accomplish his purposes. I love this quote from uh, Kent Hughes, who's a, a godly man. He's in retirement now, but he's written a lot of commentary on Scripture. Government either wittingly or unwittingly serves God. Now, that, I, I'm convinced that that very seldom looks like what we would call government serving God. Because we think what it means for government to serve God right now, for instance, in our government, would be to get rid of homosexual marriage, to outlaw abortion, um, you know, on and on and on, make all those things. And we think now, if government did that, then it would be serving God. But God's purposes and God's way of working is way beyond our way of thinking. Let's look at the example of of Christ's death. The example of Christ's death. How does an innocent man get put to death even when he's dying for the sins of the world? Well, in Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached the first sermon of the church era, he said this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested or, or proven by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death. So who's responsible for the death of Christ? The leaders of the Jewish nation or God himself? The answer is yes. And we scratch our head and say, how can that be? How can those two things come together? I don't know. I don't need to know. But I understand that God is in control of the world and he's causing circumstances to happen in such a way that the outcomes are his. As Jesus said, Pilate, the Roman governor, could have done nothing without God's empowerment. God orchestrates the events of the world and of your life and mine to accomplish his purposes. Sometimes we see that right up front and sometimes we don't see it till afterwards. And we look back and say, wow, look what God did. I would not have understood that up front. That's right. <laughs> because compared to God... We have an itsy-bitsy little pea brain. And we're not capable of understanding. God orchestrates the events of the world to accomplish his purpose. He created Adam and Eve in sinless perfection and allowed Satan to tempt them. Did God know what the outcome would be before it happened? Yes, he did. And we struggle with that and say, why did he do that? Because he wanted them to make a choice for themselves. 
to bring glory to him. So he allowed Satan to tempt him. Was the government of Babylon, in which Daniel was a prisoner, as well as the other Jewish captives, was that government sympathetic to Daniel as a Jewish young man? No, absolutely not. That government was wickedly opposed to the true God. In their minds, they marched across the, uh, what's now the, 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 the desert, and marched into Israel and took those people captive and took them back to Babylon over in modern-day Iraq because they were conquering the world. But God was using them to bring punishment to his people who were disobeying him. But when they got over there, could they stop the work of God? When Daniel said, I'd like to have a test I'd like to eat only certain foods. And, and after 10 days, you look at, you know, he, Daniel went on a vegetarian diet and he gained weight. That's a miracle. And Daniel was told not to pray. He only prayed to the king. Don't pray to your God. And he just went home and he opened up the shutters and faced Jerusalem and started praying like he always did. And they threw him in the lion's den and God shut the lion's mouths. And Daniel's friend wouldn't bow to the statue of the king. And he said, we're going we're to burn you alive in this fiery furnace. And uh, they didn't bow and they didn't burn. Now, they also said something very important. They said, king... You know, whether or not we should bow to you or to God, that's, a, that's an easy one for us. Whether or not God will save us, we don't know. But we know one thing, we're not bound down to you. And he tossed them in, and the only thing that burned off was the ropes that were holding them. In more modern times, Mao Zedong did his best to eradicate Christianity in China. He also did his best to eradicate other forms of Western culture. Christians were not the only one persecuted in that time. And some estimates place the number of Christians came all the way down to about 75,000 by the end of his cultural revolution in the whole nation of China. Today there are millions and millions of Christians and uncountable house churches in that great country. Do we really think the U.S. government can stop Christianity? Are we really that scared? Oh, what's going to happen? Well, there may be some hard times. There were some hard times in China. And there were some intense intense uh, decisions for Daniel and his friends to make. But do we really think any government can stop God's work? Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Do you ever think about how God, how God reacts when some human dictator says, I'm going to stamp out Christianity? And God says, give it your best shot, bud. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath. 
and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. No government will ever stop the work of God. Oh, they might slow it down. They might squeeze it over this way or squeeze it over that way. God is on his throne doing as he wills in his world. And part of his will, part of his will is that God expects Christians to support the government. Look back at Romans 13, verse 6, please. And he, you know, God makes this real clear for us. He says, first of all, pay your taxes, verse 6. Because of this, you should pay taxes. I understand the whole tax revolt movement, and people have tried to, you know, they have all this uh, fancy logical way to go through the codes and the rules. Hey, hey, friends, God allowed our government to exist, and he's the one that says we should pay taxes. You don't need to do it because you love the government. You don't need to do it because you think the tax is a good thing. You need to do it because God said to do it. The word tax here in the first century most likely referred to what we would call income and property taxes. And the word custom would have been a tax on goods. Uh, Some of our men uh, work at the border or have worked at the border, and when certain goods come in, a tax has to be paid, and it has to do with you know, equalizing, uh, you know, exchange rates and all that kind of thing. And so there is more than one kind of tax spoken of here. A tax, a property tax, an an income tax, a custom. You know, in Matthew 17, Jesus paid what we would call a poll tax. And a poll tax, um, we don't have that particularly, at least not in our state, in our country, but they would go around and say, if you're breathing, you've got to pay a dollar. It's a poll tax, okay? And, and maybe they use that also to count people. I don't know. But they had to pay a poll tax. And that's the, one that, that's the particular one that Jesus paid. He didn't have any property and he didn't have any income, but he was breathing, so he had to pay this tax. Um, years ago, I visited with a state trooper who, who worked on the, the governor at that time on his security detail. And they flew into Bellingham, And when the governor's plane landed, a worker came out and put a tag on it for a landing fee. And I guess that's what they do at airports. You know, you gotta gotta pay a fee. Nobody lands for free. And this state trooper went out to this worker and he says, the governor of Washington is not paying a landing fee. That was the end of the story. (laughs) Jesus had to pay a landing fee. He had to pay a fee to walk around. How unfair is that? The creator of the world had to pay a tax because he was walking in the world. If you want to talk about a a valid reason to ignore a tax, that would be it. God says, pay your taxes. Number two, pay your respects. Look at uh, verse 7. Some people are due taxes, some people are due customs, some people are due fear and honor. The word fear, I think, refers back to the bearing of the sword. In other words, in other words uh, there are times when we are under authority and we should pay respect to authority. Um, we should not make light of law and order. 
I understand all kinds of attitudes about uh, police officers and those who enforce the law. I understand there are such things as uh, sinful police officers. If you read the paper every day, you read about one of them from the sheriff's office this last week. And um, the thing that makes me proud is that uh, our sheriff keeps a clean house and he won't put up with people who break the law. And uh, that person was dismissed because they broke the law. And I understand that happens. That doesn't change the fact that God is the one who set up the authority and God is the one who says you need to obey. You need to respect the word honor is a positive word of esteem. Um, I, in one of the commentaries that I read, they talked about in the military, uh, this person who, who, who was writing the commentary said, when I was in the military, they said, salute the uniform. The guy in it might be a bum, but the uniform stands for something. And we have to have that kind of respect for authority. More than any country in the world... We should respect the office and the man or woman who holds the office because we have the luxury, and it is a luxury, of the rule of law. We are one of the few countries in the world that is genuinely ruled by law and not by dictators. We, can, we might dislike this person and that person and their policies and so on, but we know in a certain period of time we can get enough people together and get them voted out of office. Or we know that their term will expire and they have to go out of office, whatever it might be, and that is a luxury. It is not a divinely inspired human right because what God said in Romans 13 is you need to obey the authority, and in that day it was a dictator. And so for us living in the luxury of the rule of law, we need to be submissive to that authority. And there's an important reason for us to do this. Remind them, this is, this is Paul talking to Pastor Titus about what he should teach his people. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts. You know what he says? All those people you're criticizing, you were that way once, and you need to remember that. You might be at a point in your Christian life where you've grown up and you've matured and you understand more things and these people haven't had that opportunity yet. He says, don't be pointing the finger and saying, you're messed up, you're not like me. He says, you were messed up once too. They aren't perfect, but you weren't always righteous yourself, so cut them some slack and Secondly, realize that your obedience to government is a tool that God wants to use. And this might be the most important thing you can get a hold of today. Realize that your obedience to government is a tool God wants to use. Therefore, submit yourselves to every rule of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. Now, now think about that again. Do you understand how they approached a king in that day? 
They would literally get down on their face, and I would show you how to do that if I wasn't infirm. They'd get down on their face, and they'd wait till the king told them they could stand up, which meant he wasn't going to kill them. That's how much power the kings of that era ruled, or, or, or how much power they had. And, and, it, and it is God saying, you go and bow down to the king when you're going to talk to him. You don't go in there and say, hey, you're no better than me, buddy. Respect. Obey the king, governors, those who are sent by him for punishment. For this is the will of God. You want to know God's will for your life? This is it. And here it is. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. God wants to use our obedience to the government to demonstrate our godliness. And so we need to ask the question, what is more important, your personal freedom, comfort, and wealth, or your Christian testimony for God? We don't always have to choose between these two things. As far as I can tell in my life, the vast majority of Stuff in my life, I'm, I feel entirely free in many, many ways. But if we had to choose between our personal freedom, comfort, and wealth, or our Christian testimony, which one would we choose? God says, I want you to obey for sake of a Christian testimony. How does that work? I'm not sure I always know. But that's why God... And so the, the question that's associated here is this. We should want our society and its leaders to become Christians more than we want some decisions to go our way. And that's why we need to pray our concerns. Therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Do you pray for your government leaders as much as you talk about them? I don't think I pray for them as much as I should. I have, I have two government leaders in particular that I have prayed for because I know they're believers who they seem to walk with the Lord, and uh, I really, I, I want to support them in prayer, okay? Have I been praying for the ones who don't believe in God? No, I really haven't. And frankly, as a result of studying for this sermon, I took a note home and put it on my prayer journal that says, pray for the politicians. I understand that voting is important, that you know, if you're given to, to politics, to getting elected, or to getting other people elected, I think that's fine. It is, is not only our right, but it's our privilege, and God says we should do all that we can as Christians. But, but the, the, the most important question is this. Are you praying for those in, in authority? 
Who is it that sets up leaders? And who is it that takes them down? God. Do you care about their eternal destiny as much as you care about getting them out of or into office? Do you pray that God would accomplish His purposes through them? Which might be different than your purposes. The election is coming, and you will have a chance that many people in the world don't have. The city-state of Hong Kong came back under Chinese rule in 1999, and the people thought they were going to keep getting to elect their own leaders, and they do. The government of China says, here are some people you can vote for. And right now they're in a big tumult. They have ongoing demonstrations to say, no, we want the freedom to choose. If you had unlimited power and could make a big change in our country, now don't shout your answer out. If you had unlimited power and could make a big change in our country, what would it be? And was the first thought that came to your mind, I'd make everyone a Christian? See, frankly, one of our problems is we're more interested in political change than in the salvation of souls. And there is no such thing as political change that will create a utopian environment in this country. It just isn't. Because until Christ comes back, Satan is going to be free to rule and to make things happen in a way that is challenging to us. God has given us the wonderful privilege of being involved in our government, but it isn't so we can create personal comfort and prosperity. It is so we can work with him in accomplishing his purposes in our society and beyond. Our country might be right or wrong, but it is where God has placed us for his glory and for our good. Heavenly Father, I know I don't like to obey some of the rules. I know I don't like some of the decisions that have been made in recent years. I wish we had a more, a broader kind of freedom in many ways. And yet, Father, you have allowed these circumstances at these times. You have put these people in, in responsible positions. And so help us to obey. And when necessary, help us to disobey. Help us to pay our taxes. And most of all, help us to give a good witness for you so that you can work through us to reach people for Christ. I pray in his name, amen.